In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm Director of Ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Well, folks, like many of you, I believe that we should be lifelong learners so that we can continue to grow as human beings, but more importantly, to grow in Christ Jesus. Well, Christian Civics Foundation is a six-week course covering some of the biggest questions and challenges that we as believers in Christ, Christians, face in the public square. You can actually sign up for uh, this course on, online at ChristianCivics.org, and that'll help you, me, all of us develop a new, more constructive vision for faith in a very polarized age. And I think we could all agree, man, oh man, we live in a very polarized time. Well, of course, here to get us started, to introduce our guest for the day, my good friend, my co-host of Good News Suburban City, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. Good to see you, man. God bless you, friend. Thank you, Dennis, as always. Certainly, we live in a culture and a world where whether we want to recognize it or not, we are constantly having a dialogue, whether it's via email or whether it's through in-person conversation or as you know, a lot of people do via text, about civic issues. Unfortunately, and I don't think this is news to anyone listening to this show, our continual conversation around civic issues has often lacked civility because we struggle. That's probably one of the more obvious things we've ever said on this show, but we struggle as human beings many times, especially as believers, to live and act and talk in a way that speaks the truth, but doesn't in a way like Jesus would speak it. And so when we have people on that help us understand that a little bit better, I'm always excited. And that is the person that we have with us today. We have Rick Berry in studio. He is the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. It is a DC-based ministry designed to empower Christians to think, to speak, and to act differently in the public square. I love that act differently because I'm just going to pause in the middle of this, Rick, as I give your bio. You know, the, the book of First Peter says that we're aliens and strangers in this world. And unfortunately, I think too many times us as believers read that as being alienating and strange. Uh, that's what we think that what we mean by different, but that's not what you mean by different. And I love that. His principled, empathetic focus on witness, humility, and spiritual formation I believe, and so many others who've engaged him, makes him uniquely encouraging voice on questions of political polarization and church health in this world. Welcome back, Rick. We've had you previous. Longtime listeners may have caught you on one of our shows before, but we've got you back to talk about this. And so for those who, who didn't hear you before or know about uh, the Christian, rather the Center for Christian Civics, talk about this. Tell us how this, the Center for Christian Civics was founded and what's your emphasis and why behind this? It was founded by my 
friend, Danny Leva. He's my co-founder. We started it um, around the, we started envisioning this ministry as we transitioned from being two guys who went to church together to two guys who were becoming good friends and were surprised to find out the other one didn't agree with us about politics that we had. Wow. Both. That's so surprising in the world, right? That, that yeah. two people gather in a room and have opposite opinions. Yeah. He was a missionary kid who is now a professional Republican staffer. I was mm-hmm. a, a college convert who became a professional Democrat and then a professional church guy. Mm-hmm. And the thing we realized as we be, were becoming friends that we did share was, and we both had very con- similar concerns uh, and similar struggles uh, carrying our faith into our professional lives when he was working on the Hill, when I was working on campaigns, the things that made it hard for me to operate as a professional Democrat who was a Christian made it hard for him to operate as a professional Republican who was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And as we started commiserating about these things, we realized that we were both very, very concerned about the culture war model, uh, the mm-hmm. kind of vision of bringing our faith into civic life that told us that the way to do this was to pick a camp, baptize that camp, and then declare holy war against the other camp. Uh, That the thing God wants us to do is help one group of glorious but fallen people dominate and marginalize another group of glorious but fallen people. We were pretty sure that if a different vision for faith in politics didn't start becoming popular very quickly, mm-hmm. then the church was going to lose two or maybe three generations of people to cynicism or skepticism. Yeah. And we started this ministry because we really, really didn't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it strikes me that there are people right now who are listening to this live on WABA or, or maybe they're listening via podcast and you use the term, professional, and then you added a party before it, whether it's Republican or Democrat, followed by Christian. And some of you are like, I'm out. I'm out of this conversation already because it's not even possible in their mind that you could insert whichever party you inserted between professional and Christian and still be a Christian. In fact, um, there are those out there that uh, truly believe that their political views have the complete and total corner on everything that is moral, everything that is godly, and everything that is right. And I'm using that that language very specifically. I have the corner on the market, this particular party does. And so the implication in that is that the other one has the corner on everything that is immoral, everything that is ungodly, and then by implication, everything that is wrong. And um, as you mentioned, you know, you are from one background, your friend is from another background. And oftentimes when those two come together, if one person has, or both people have that true belief that there is no common ground, there's all kinds of things that occur. One that doesn't is Christian unity. What would you say to someone who truly believes that they have the corner on the market with their particular political view? That's an excellent question. And I mean, that happens a lot. And when I after I came to faith, when I was trying to start to figure out what my faith would mean for whether I would vote in the next election, and if so, Mm -hmm. which way would I vote? Uh, I got a lot of conflicting messages about that myself. I went to two different Bible studies in one week, and the leader of one said, well, obviously you can't vote for 
ex-candidate if you're really mm-hmm. a Christian. And the second one I went to that week, they said, and we all know that every anyone who says they're Christian and votes for Y isn't really converted. Uh, so this is not, a, this is a real point of view people have. It's a real point of confusion that I think is getting in the way of many of our spiritual development. Uh, the first thing I would want to talk with someone about who said, who kind of tunes out as soon as I lend credence to the faith of a Republican or lend credence to the faith of a Democrat um, is to talk to them a little bit about the nature of the fall and the nature of the kingdom. Mm. Scripture tells us that all people are glorious and fallen at the same time. We reflect God's image and we distort it. I use the metaphor of we're funhouse mirrors a lot. Mm. Uh, it tells us That's that- That's a good visual, by the way. I have that right in my head right now and I don't like how I look, just frankly, yeah? <laughs> Uh, and I mean, none of us do funhouse mirrors tend to have, uh, they have the tendency to catch us exactly where we're most vulnerable yeah, when a good we're way looking to say at it. them. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Uh, but we tend to sometimes think that our image in the funhouse mirror isn't distorted hmm. and other people's image in the funhouse mirror isn't reflective at all. Mm-hmm. We tend to think that like, the way the funhouse mirror will expand my nose and make it even bigger is actually the way God's nose looks. Yeah. Uh, the thing we would, I would first want them to consider is uh, whether anything about their own political commitments is overemphasizing something that is good. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether they're putting too much emphasis on something the Bible says our hearts should long for or they're getting so focused on longing for one thing that they're doing it to the exclusion of longing for other things. The Bible mm-hmm. tells us we are missing on this side of the kingdom. Yeah. And then go through the inverse exercise on the other side. Um, are you so focused on the degree to which someone on the other side is overemphasizing the pursuit of something that you're missing the ways in which that is actually something scripture says we should be longing for. Mm -hmm. I mean, a practical example might be, are you so uh, focused on the commands in scripture to feed the poor that you forget scripture also tells us that we should be setting up just economic systems. It tells us to make sure that we're not putting our thumbs on the scales in the market. Uh, And do you start to think that the only Christian thing to do in this city is set up soup kitchens Mm -hmm. and forget that there are also uh, there's room for Christians in our city to promote economic justice in other ways as well? I think one of the things you're illustrating well for our listeners is this tendency and this word is thrown around a lot uh, now to tribalize. That means get together in your, mm-hmm. your group. And they, they seem to be, and I use the term tribes, and I think you use it in the same way, groups of people that get around an issue, even inside of the church, a very specific one or two issues and say, if you don't behave in the manner in these one or two issues as the most important issues, or the only issues that are primary to God around this, you're not a part of our tribe. And not only you're not part of our tribe, you are, um, you know, you are then something less than. And I, I think there's this interesting concept that you're bringing about what it looks like to understand that a group of people may have a specific calling towards something 
that is more puts more emphasis on an issue than others, but it doesn't release the significance of those other issues. Am I hearing you properly? Yes. Um, there is no way any one of us can care about and act on everything the prophets and the gospels say Jesus mm-hmm. cares about and will act on and set right. If our yeah. churches are going to be communities that reflect Jesus, if he is actually telling the truth when he says that his presence in this world happens through two or more people gathered in his name, mm-hmm. then our churches have to be communities where people have different commitments to different mm-hmm. issues, celebrate those different commitments, and maybe even have different strategies for pursuing those commitments. They have to be places where even some people who care about food insecurity will focus on uh, popularizing gleaning while other people will concentrate on collecting one of the tithes to feed the poor and other Mm -hmm. people will focus on being like Joseph and setting up a tax and sale system to make food even more available to those who are hungry in other circumstances. Yeah. Now I, I want to pick up on that because I loved it. I happen to be studying right now the book of Ruth. So I really was right there with the gleaning aspect of it for anyone who's there. And I love the biblical examples. Now, I think there can be this belief that, hey, this sounds really good, Rick, but I'm just going to go be in my tribe. Like I, I can't see any negative effect if I just go be in my tribe and it's just us who look the same. We all vote the same. We all drive the same cars, you know, whatever, whatever stereotype you want after it, we're all the same. But I think you would push back a little about that, that there's some, there's some effects of that polarizing culture that we're not fully grasping and how it impacts both families and churches. Am I correct? Not just family. You're more correct than you're framing it because it doesn't just operate to the detriment. When we function that way, it's not just to the detriment of our families. It's not just to the detriment of our churches. It's to the detriment of our own discipleship and our own ability to see and understand Jesus and embody him well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's to the detriment of the spiritual health of the people around us. There's nothing wrong with being tribal. Humanity is meant to be tribal. We are meant to locate ourselves within community. Uh, Scripture doesn't say that when Jesus returns, we will no longer have tribes. It says that every tribe and every tongue will be present in the kingdom. The danger comes when we view that the purpose of our tribes is to set boundaries for who we care about, not define the groups through which we're caring for others. Mm. The calling of Abraham was that I will make you a great nation so that through your descendants, everyone will be blessed, not I will give you many descendants so that there will be many people to pursue and guarantee their own blessings to one another and draw blessings out of the other families and tribes. And I appreciate Uh, the reframing that you're doing here, because I think there's this tendency in the local church and the body to to read the idea of scripture calling us to unity and using a synonym for that for uniformity. You're 100 percent correct. And that was exactly the issue the first church council in the book of Acts was about. There were major uh, partisan divisions between Mm -hmm. the Hebraic Jews in the early church, the Hellenist mm-hmm. Jews and the Gentiles. They were kind of three different parties debating cultural issues. Um, yeah. And the determination they ended up coming to was uh, that 
Christ is present in and his glories can be reflected in each of those cultural tribes for the church to be what it was supposed to be. Hebraic Jews, Hellenist Jews, and Gentiles couldn't separate themselves into separate worship communities. They had to name, go on. No, no, go ahead. No, I, I love this. I think there's this thing that I've, I've been saying recently that because of our culture, we think unity, and I use a musical example, is everyone has to be on C. You can be middle C, one up or not. But actually, if we better understand biblically, it's we need to be in harmony such that we're playing music together on differing notes to make something greater than ourselves. That's beautiful. That's the purpose of the church. That's John 17 unity to say to the world. It's actually one of the pillars of, of um one heart DC, one of the sponsoring agencies here of this particular show that we're on good news for the city. Yet not everyone buys that. Right. When you are, we need to all be middle C we need to be politically (laughs) homogenous and we can be healthy. What would you say to that? Um, I would say that if you're in a community that's politically homogenous and you're a Christian, then you're in a community full of people who all have the same blind spots as you. Peter needed the witness of Paul and the witness of Gentile Christians just as much as rural Christians need input into their spiritual development from urban Christians. Uh, Majority culture Christians need the um, correction from minority culture Christians. Mm -hmm. If we, we are, our faith is supposed to make us humble. It is supposed to make us receptive to teaching, rebuking, and training and righteousness across cultural divides that outside of the church, people would never actually demonstrate humility across. If we are sequestering ourselves in the church by party, we are conforming to the patterns of the world instead of demonstrating how the Holy Spirit empowers us to flourish by breaking out of the patterns that the world prescribes for us. And so I hear you saying it simply put that you cannot be all that God wants us to be to the world around us if we're choosing to be completely and utterly homogenous. And and for some people who, if they've made it this far, and we're just going to be honest, there's probably some people who've already decided I'm done listening to this show because you said a particular thing or Brian said a particular thing or Dennis said a particular thing. But if they've made it this far into the show and they're willing to engage some of these issues that are tense and begin to think, okay, I'm going to at least accept and have a conversation around a premise that I struggle with. What would you say to them as they're walking through this process are some, you know, flashing lights, maybe we use the term warning sign, say, hey, be careful, look at this, of what you would call not proper political division within the local church. And I want to frame what I mean by not proper. We all agree. There's some things that are absolutely, look, there are certain issues. It's very clear in scripture. There's no debate about those things whatsoever. So we're not getting into those particular issues when we talk about things that we hold in the local church or not. But some of the other things that may show up um, to help them, because I'm not sure if you think it is or not. My experience is not always obvious at first. I will, I mean, look, we're only talking for about 15 minutes here. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, these are relational patterns, emotional patterns, even spiritual patterns that have been reinforced and encultured in us for years and years. And I don't expect that listening to me talk for 15 minutes with Brian and Dennis is going to completely change anyone's perspective if they're coming Mm -hmm. into this really committed to the idea that 
people across the aisle have nothing to offer them spiritually. But what I would ask them to consider is to at least practice their faith the way the New Testament tells us Levi practiced his faith. Mm. Uh, Levi, the tax collector, was part of the accommodationist party in first century Israel, kind of the group of people culturally who believed the best way to relate to the Roman Empire was to conform to it and take part in it. And Luke tells us that Jesus told Levi to get out of his tax booth and follow him. And we sometimes will forget that the story goes past the line that says, and then Levi got up, left everything and followed him. But the next sentence is that Levi then went to his house and threw a party with Jesus uh, for the other tax collectors to meet him. Mm -hmm. So if you're at least, if you're not going to subject yourself to the fellowship of people across the aisle, at least take the second step that Levi took and start wondering if you're going to stay in your party, if you're going to really stay ensconced in this group of people, if you're a Christian, then at least start to consider how are the people around you falling short of God's ideals and how are you positioned to at least challenge your own tribe on this and push your own tribe toward Mm -hmm. better health. I think it's easy to figure that out if you're in fellowship with people from outside your tribe. I think one GK Chesterton talked about one of the best ways to get to know a culture or a community is to look at it with alien eyes. Mm -hmm. There's things that you take for granted and don't notice will actually seem fresh and strange to you. But if you're not going to do that, you at least need to try to critique from within. Uh, Because yeah, go on. But no, I would just say you made some great points. And I think one of the things in our last minute or two that we have together that you hey, listen, we're no one's probably going to be changing their mind, you know, through a, a radio show that happens in, in, a, in a section of time. But you have a class coming up. If, if this is sort of teased people a little bit, say, OK, I, I'm going to lean in a little bit to learn some more about faith and politics. Talk about that quickly, if you would, uh, when it's coming up and, and what people can learn from it to go deeper in this. So the class is called Christian Civics Foundations. It's a six-week small group online where you're going to get to be interacting in all six weeks with people of different politics, people from different regions, and you're going to leave not hating each other. Mm -hmm. Together, we're going to work through a few big questions. Uh, We're going to work through the biblical case for being an engaged citizen. We're going to work through uh, how... Christians can think, speak, and act differently in the public square, practical ways to do that, regardless of your party, why it's important for our churches to be politically diverse, and how to build capacity to have politically diverse relationships in the church that go beyond small talk, where you're you're not just tolerating sharing a pew with people who don't share your politics, but you're actually becoming a better follower of Christ for their presence in your life. And I love Uh, that. Yeah. And I I do encourage people, you can go to christiancivics.org. You do have a a cohort coming up on October 19th. Again, as you said, online, you could sign up for. And Dennis, as people, uh, we know that we ourselves, even as leaders, we have this tension sometimes of what it looks like to engage this. So I know this is going to be helpful for all of us. And I know it's been encouraging, again, to hear Rick talk about the passion and the, and the calling God placed on his life to help us all in these challenging issues. And it's so important. My goodness, we, every, every one of us knows how polarized our culture is and how, how politically uh, 
hot button issues come up just all the time. So, hey, Rick, thank you, buddy. God bless you, man, for being with us. Folks, if you want to hear this again, go to goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. You can also, as Brian and Rick have both mentioned, christiancivics.org to find out more about this, christiancivics.org. Or if you want to call me here at the station, I can talk with you and give you more information, 703-807-2266. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you again next week, folks. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart D.C. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.